Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by Mother Teresa who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. All right. Welcome, everyone, to our second week of our Advent chat. We have got, again, another amazing guest. So excited about uh, this guest because this is the guest to talk about St. Joseph. If if there's an expert on St. Joseph, it looks like St. Joseph made Father Donald Calloway his expert on it. So, Father, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no, absolutely. Love, Love being here and I'm excited to be here. A little bummed because the year of St. Joseph is coming to an end, right? But it's all good. He's still going to be with us forever. So <laughs> That's very true. When does it officially end? Did it, did it end at the beginning of Advent? No, it ends on uh, Wednesday, December 8th, the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. That's right. Yeah. Do you have any inkling? Do we know yet what the next year is going to be? Um, survival mode? No, I don't know. Um <laughs> I, I think we're going to need St. Joseph more next year than we needed him last year. That's just me. I'm, I don't want to freak anybody out, but um, yeah. It's so true, though. If there, if there was a saint for survival mode, who do you think it would be for next year? Probably St. Joseph. I mean, he was exiled, right? He had to flee from a lunatic who wanted to kill their baby, right? Jesus. So, yeah, he'd probably be pretty good for that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, actually. Wow. Um so much there to think about. We've had an amazing year. Now let's first talk about if if y'all don't know, Father Calloway wrote an amazing book, Total Consecration. Is it? What, can you tell me the title again? I said on the yeah. yeah. So Consecration to Saint Joseph. This book, if I have a podcast with Father, and it was wonderful, it was so well received. People loved this episode. Check that out. Do something beautiful um, podcast that I have. But how many languages has this been translated into? Eighteen so far. Yeah, that hit bestseller. Oh, yeah. I, I can't believe it, to be honest with you, because I knew it was going to be big, but it's in Arabic now. Um, it's in Japanese, which is so cool because I got kicked out of Japan, right? When I was a teenager for all my criminal activity. But now I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about that. But of course, at the time that you were getting kicked out, St. Joseph is just sitting there like, it's going to be okay, buddy. We're right. Gonna come back. We're going to come back together. Wow. It's amazing. So we have got, and we have a great group. We have now almost, uh, almost 400 people who have just signed in live um, all over the world. We've got Argentina, Hawaii. We've got North Carolina, Pennsylvania. So awesome to see you guys all here. Gulfport, Mississippi. How you doing? Memphis, California, Idaho, Rhode Island, Canada. So wonderful that you all are here. So again, this is our our second week of our Advent chat. It's a three-part series. Last week, we had Sister Miriam, and then we've got Father Michael O'Loughlin, Byzantine Catholic priest, who will be speaking for our third and final Advent chat next week. So we're going to go ahead and get started because Father and I have got a great little outline to chat about when we talk about St. Joseph. Our goal here, just so you know, the point of this Advent chat is that today we're talking about St. Joseph as how St. Joseph relates to the Holy Family so that we can prepare our hearts truly to receive um, Christ, just as St. Joseph prepared his heart and God prepared his heart to receive his only son. 
So we're going to just be inspired by St. Joseph. We're going to let him truly open up our hearts to see Christ in a new way. And maybe that we can have the same eyes of St. Joseph as he, you know, looked upon Christ for the very first time in the flesh um, so that we can be able to look at others and, um, and see Christ in the same way. So, Father, would you start us off in prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. And we thank you for this extraordinary year that you've given to us, the year of St. Joseph. We pray that even though there's a tinge of sadness in our hearts that is coming to a conclusion, help us to remember that he's not going anywhere, that he's always going to be our spiritual father. Help us to be like him, to imitate him in his virtues, and to grow closer to you and to Our Lady. And as always, we ask this through Christ our Lord, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay. So... St. Joseph. Let me let me start this before we get into like the roles of St. Joseph and what we can talk about with him. Let me ask you a question so that we can maybe lower our defenses. Sometimes when we think about St. Joseph, it might be hard to relate or maybe many of us just just kind of bypass him in the Holy Family and we're only focusing on Mary and Jesus. How can we initially starting out this conversation? Um like bring down those defensive walls and really open up to St. Joseph. Mm. No, that's a super good point. I mean, if you think about it, it it's not easy to to get close to him in a certain sense because he's the, the greatest supporting actor in Christianity. He doesn't even have any words, you know, recorded in the New Testament. So who are you, St. Joseph, right? So I think that's the beginning point is who are you? Obviously, you're mega important. I mean... You are the man that raised the Messiah. That means you got to be a pretty stellar guy. I mean, like, you've got to be like the cream of the crop. God wanted to be like you, Joseph. <laughs> I mean, that's huge. And then you you had the privilege of marrying the Immaculata. You're her husband. I mean, me as a man, I'm a priest, right? I, I'm not married to a woman. But I remember at Fulton Sheen in a book called The World's First Love, he says that when a man marries a woman, he longs to marry the Blessed Virgin. <laughs> what? Right? So we're talking about St. Joseph is the man who was married to that woman who is so extraordinarily holy that he had to be somebody special. So I think that's the beginning point. And then from there, you can unpack it. And that's what I did in the book. So I did all the work for you, actually. Just get the book. <laughs> I, I absolutely. And we'll definitely include that too. It is one of those ones you have to have. I promise you, I get, I give this advice every time. And I, this is the one piece of advice that people actually come back to me and say, Leah, you're right. Pretty much. I give advice all the time, but nobody says that, but this is one of the few times where they say, when I tell them buy two copies, one for yourself and give one away. Cause once you read it, you're going to be like, I know someone who needs this. And then you just, you have it. Or I promise you, St. Joseph will show up and show you the person to give it to. It's so true. It's one of my favorite books to give to people. And there's so many here right now who are who are talking in the chat saying they already have the book. They love it. It has absolutely healed parts of their life. So it's just been a huge blessing. So as we're talking about St. Joseph, um, I think you set, up, set it up really beautiful just for us to experience and be in awe of this man that God has chosen, just as he yeah. chose Our Lady to be the mother, but God also chose Joseph, yeah. the stepfather. And so in that role of husband and father, how, do, how can we relate to St. Joseph in this role as husband and father 
as he relates to the Holy Family and in and in a way in our families as well. Mm. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot there. So, you know, if you think about the Holy Family, that dynamic, right, you got three persons. So one of them is God, Jesus, a divine person. And then you've got Our Lady who's immaculate. She's not God, but she's I mean, she's the exalted creature. I mean, higher than the angels. She's incredible. Perfect as a creature could be, the immaculate. And then you've got St. Joseph, who's not God, who's not immaculate, not just like an ordinary dude, right? A lot of people say, oh, he's just an ordinary guy. Not exactly. I mean, he was prepared for this mission. He was given extraordinary graces. And actually, many saints have said he was sanctified in the womb, like John the Baptist was. So he was given a special mission. And yet, of the three members, right, he's the least. He's the least. But he's called what? The head of the Holy Family. Um, how's that, right? Isn't, wouldn't Jesus be the head? He's God. Well, yeah, on one level. Wouldn't Mary be like greater, you know, person in that dynamic? Yes, on one level, she's immaculate. And St. Joseph would be the first to tell us that his wife is better than him and his son, Jesus, is better than him. He'd be the first to tell us that. But here's the thing that's amazing is that his role of headship isn't one of authoritarian, you know, woman make me breakfast kind of stuff. No, no, no. You know, a lot of people trip on that. They get triggered by that language. They say, oh, man is ahead of my family. I, how dare you, right? That's what people just get so upset by that language today. But it's because they've maybe never experienced the true love of a man who is a servant in his, in his headship. Not, not somebody lording it over you, you know, but serves you, sacrifices for you, loves you to the point of death, toiling day and night for you, for your happiness. That's ultimately what Jesus does for the church, and it's what St. Joseph did for his family. And to me, that's extraordinary because today everybody wants a trophy, right? Everybody wants to be acknowledged for every little thing they do. And St. Joseph never got a trophy. He never got much acknowledgement. And yet without his role, his servant leadership role, Jesus and Mary would not have been able to get to the cross and save the world. God made it dependent on Our Lady's womb and her maternal upbringing of the Messiah and all that she did as the new Eve going all the way to the cross, right, with Jesus. But St. Joseph also played a very vital, life-giving role that um, if we, in, in family life today, especially men, of course, strive to imitate that, wow, what a different world this would be. I mean, how much more secure women would feel Knowing that their man is a protector, a defender, a provider, he he's, he'll, he he will fight for us, right? He won't cower in fear and run away when the wolves attack. I guarantee you that's not what St. Joseph did. When they were going to Egypt, that was no pretty road. You know, that, that was roads at night where there were bandits and marauders. And here you are with a young, beautiful bride, an extremely beautiful woman. You think men wouldn't have had bad intentions? You bet they would. Right. And St. Joseph, what's he going to sit there and dialogue about it? Oh, you want to harm my family? OK, I guess so. Right. No, he, <laughs> ain't going to happen. And and that's one of the reasons I'm going off here on tangents, but they're interesting. So that's one of the reasons why many saints and mystics have said that one of the reasons that St. Joseph was not at the cross is because in his manhood and in his fatherhood, there's no way. He would have gone to town on those centurions. He would have, you know, 
unpacked a can of whoop whoop on them people, right? Because that's what a father, that's what a husband does. You come after my bride and my my child, <laughs> it's on, baby, right? That would have been St. Joseph. So he couldn't have been at the cross to endure this. Mm-hmm. Um, but So that's just some of the insights. And we today as men, especially, we need to be like St. Joseph. Humble, yes. Silent, yeah, we could be a lot more silent than we are. Keep our mouth shut, right? That gets us into so much trouble. But pure, chaste of heart, prayerful. Uh, I want to talk about that more too. Just so many things in St. Joseph that we need in family life today. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you talked about how St. Joseph was the head of the family, although the least of the three, but, and that he served them and, Mm. and to serve Jesus and to serve our lady, Jesus and our lady had to allow that, that serving to take place. Yes. Yeah, I just I I find that to be so interesting um, in this in these roles of husband and wife today in families where there is a resistance. It's maybe one spouse wants to serve, but the other one doesn't want to be served. They just want to do it on their own. This individualistic culture. Yeah, I think Joseph teaches us something different. You nailed it right there because today the way that the world um, has set it up is that. We have to be in competition and we have to basically usurp each other's what they'll say is some traditional role. And so there's such great confusion about that today when it's not a competition. And I think we see that perfectly with Our Lady and St. Joseph. She is better than he is. And yet she let him fulfill his role. She, you know, and this is interesting because God actually worked this way through their family. So, for example, When God wanted that family, the Holy Family, to move, to do something, God spoke to the head of the family, Joseph, and said, take your wife and child and flee from this lunatic who wants to kill, you know, the child. That's significant. And I think, like, Joseph's, what what is shown there is that, for example, in their prayer life, this blows my mind. This is such a meditation, especially, you know, for, for Advent and Christmas, upcoming Christmas season, is... In that family dynamic, whose role was it to lead the prayers and to to take the family in the observance of their religion? You know, at the time, Judaism, of course. Well, it wasn't the role of Jesus. He's the eternal son of God. He, He beholds the face of his heavenly father. Could he not pray and lead the family in prayer? For sure. Perfect. But it wasn't his role. And he didn't take it from Joseph. Mary. She's the bride of the spirit. She's, you know, she's so united with with God and his holy will. She could have prayed much better than St. Joseph, but she didn't take his role either. She let Joseph lead. And Joseph, I'm sure, knew that he was the least and they were better at everything. But he stepped up as a man and he knew his role and he did it. And I guarantee you that Mary, in her feminine heart, in her, her delicate emotions as a woman, right? Oftentimes we think of her not as a woman, like an angel or something. No, she was a woman. She was so secure in the in the headship and the leadership of the servant leadership of her man. She loved her, Joseph. And Jesus would have delighted in his father and wanted to be like him in that because he saw a man living that role perfectly. And that's the amazing thing is that Jesus wanted to be like Joseph. Remember, Jesus is God. 
God doesn't want to be like you or me. Sorry to deflate our egos, right? But God doesn't want to imitate us. But Jesus, God, wanted to imitate Joseph. That is extraordinary stuff. He made Joseph, and yet he wants to be like Joseph. (laughs) What do you think about that relationship? Maybe you can talk a little bit about the relationship just with Jesus and Joseph, just Mm. father and son. Um, I don't know. I mean, I know you wrote so much about these aspects in your book, too. Uh, But where, like, how can we understand that better? Like, Mm. how can we reflect on that this week? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You know, there's so much I could say about that. So let me let me start maybe at the beginning. So, right. We don't have any words from Joseph, although he spoke, of course. We do know that he had to have said the name of Jesus because he's the one that the angel said, you are to name the child Jesus. Don't be afraid to take Mary into your home. You are the one to name the child Jesus. What's extraordinary about this, and maybe you can affirm this, and maybe the ladies um, listening in can as well, or maybe not, but I, I think that most have told me now that it's true. When a baby says its first words, pretty much around the globe in every culture, the first words that the baby says is not mama, but dada or abba, right? So that being true, for the most part, maybe there's exceptions, in all likelihood, the first words that came out of the mouth of the divine infant looking at Joseph were Abba, Daddy, right? And Mary wasn't jealous, not a competition. She, she Maybe uh, maybe so there's some mothers who, who for months are saying, say mama, mama, right? <laughs> when the time comes. Um, but she wouldn't have been jealous. She would have delighted in that. And here's something incredible. When Jesus, a divine person, took on human nature, He wanted to share facial characteristics of one person in particular, and that would have been Our Lady because he lived in her body for nine months. They are biologically, you know, united. So maybe in his cheekbones, his eye sockets, his eyebrow or something, he he shared facial characteristics of Our Lady. That's incredible because we're talking about the face of God. Now, he doesn't physically look like Joseph. But here's something fascinating. Let me unpack this because this this I wasn't able to put in the book because after the book came out, I was going deep in prayer with this stuff. And I was like, oh, man, I sh- if I'd only known this before, but maybe there'll be a volume two or something. So do you remember on several occasions in the New Testament, Jesus says some interesting things about his heavenly father when asked by his disciples. So in one episode, the disciples say, show us the father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus says, what do you mean, show you the Father? In seeing me, you have seen the Father. Hmm, that's interesting. Because the Father, God the Father, did not take on human nature, right? He doesn't have a face like Jesus does. I mean, we often depict him as an old man and such. Okay, we get it. But technically, he's not an old man, right? Just like the Holy Spirit's not a bird, right? So it's I hope people understand that, right? You never know these days. Bad catechesis, people think the Holy Spirit's a, you know, a dove, you know? So, so he, but what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I imitate my father. And in another occasion, he says, I can only do and say what I see my father doing and saying. Now he's talking about his heavenly father, but the same thing applies to his earthly father, St. Joseph. This is how it works. Like, like father, like son, spit an image. So when you see Jesus, even though they don't look like each other in their countenance, when you see Jesus, you're seeing Joseph. Why? 
Because I guarantee you that Jesus, our Jesus, our sweet Jesus, the Savior of the world, he has the accent of Joseph. He has the mannerisms of Joseph. He walks like Joseph. He probably swings an axe like Joseph, shaves wood like Joseph. He treats a woman like Joseph treated his lady, right? All boys imitate their dad. Jesus is the God baby, God boy, God man. He, when you see Jesus, you're seeing Joseph. That's the extraordinary anthropological aspect of the incarnation in relationship to Jesus and Joseph that we have not unpacked in Christianity until now. And we're going to continue unpacking it because this is incredible stuff, my friend. Yeah. I, I mean, what you can, we can sit with that for not just Advent, for honestly, the rest of our lives really contemplating this role of Joseph and what he can teach us mm. and for us of how to approach and love Christ himself. Yeah. Um, I mean, so with, within this role of Joseph, you've obviously pointed out that he is going to resemble characteristics, mm. um, way, things that he, he, he watched Joseph growing up and so that yeah. he would imitate. So in some ways, as we imitate Christ, we're, we could be imitating aspects or characteristics of St. Joseph as well. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's amazing in and of itself because that just goes to further the reality that Christianity is a family, right? And that is such a great thing about Christianity. I mean, Joseph is, as saints have said, as popes have said, the shadow of the heavenly father. He's the man who fulfilled that role for Jesus in, in a fleshly way. And if we are brothers and sisters of Jesus, which we are, that means that we have to have the same parents that he has, which obviously means we get to cry out Abba Father to, to, to our Heavenly Father, but we also get the great privilege of being able to call his mother our mother, Mama Mary. And the same thing with St. Joseph. He's our spiritual father. And so, yeah, I mean, that family dynamic is incredible. And that's why we want to imitate Our Lady, our mother, just like Jesus did, and Joseph, just like Jesus did. And, oh, here's something cool. Yeah, this just came to my mind. Joseph's name, etymologically, like if you unpack it, it means increase. So jo I call St. Joseph the increaser, right? Because that's what a good father does. He increases growth in, their, in, their, in his ch children. And if he's a good father, a holy father, he, he increases virtue in them. So in the Gospel of Luke, remember that episode where Jesus it says is lost in the temple. He wasn't lost. He knew where he was, right? He's God, but they lost him. So when they found him, it says this, this is amazing. It says, and he went to Nazareth and was obedient to them. That's another thing that blows my mind. God was obedient to creatures. Okay. We could unpack that. He went to Nazareth and was obedient to them and increased in wisdom and stature before God and man. Jesus, a divine person, increased in these things. In his divinity? No, of course not. But in his human growth and development? You betcha. Because Jesus is not a robot, right? He humbled himself to grow and develop like every child does, but he did it under the care of the magnifier, his mother, our mother, Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord. She's the magnifier. Joseph is the increaser. 
because that's what a dad does. And so to me, that's just so amazing because we that's why we need Mary and Joseph, too. Right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's so interesting. What you're saying to me just relates to me personally in some ways in my work um, in coaching uh, in terms of like personal development coaching uh, and people who know me or who have worked with me before know that I've always said, you know, there's no transformation without Christ Jesus. You know, he's the Alpha and the Omega. So you, if you entered into Christianity, you've entered into the greatest personal development program on the planet. Um <laughs> But if you're talking about that as well, and what you just said, it made me realize like Mary and, and Joseph were like his his personal like life coaches as a child. Right? <laughs> they're like coaching, they're coaching their son to grow in those in those, um, like you said, human elements and, and development to increase in those ways and that we can be looking to the family as that unit. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about let's talk about the domestic life. This domestic life that it seems to be so many people run away from or they dread, um, of course, with the onset, or not even onset, but with the um, onslaught maybe now of abortion, just going full tilt and everything with the, with the, with the family life just being, it seems to be uprooted and destroyed, although we're praying that that changes soon. But it seems like that normal day-to-day grind of domestic life is like the one thing that people don't want to jump into. And I'm talking about mostly people kind of coming into marriage or thinking about that now. Mm-hmm. But I also find this within a lot of families that I speak to and a lot of husbands and wives where they feel stuck and that domestic life is mm-hmm. is just blah and they don't see mm-hmm. and like, like it's worth anything. Um, but that obviously wasn't the case for the Holy Family. What can you help us understand so that we can see what we're doing, you know, cooking and cleaning and changing diapers and vacuuming, like all the normal day-to-day things in our domestic right. life. How, yeah. can this, how can we see the glory of the Holy Family? You know, how can that light shed upon ours so that we can see that we're doing something good too for the Lord? Right. Yeah. Um, I think like when you were talking, I just rem- was remembering the saints who talk about the the ordinariness of daily life and yet that's where your sanctity is right so so many saints have talked about that and with the holy family sometimes i know i i've made this mistake is we we tend to see snapshots of their life and we think like okay take one bethlehem all right great cut everybody just stand there for seven years and take two right you're, you're no in the meantime they did the laundry and they, you know, Mama Mary wouldn't vacuum, of course, but whatever she would have done, swept, I guess, the house, right? I mean, that's that's normal. So it's not always super exciting and dynamic, right? We've got this mentality today of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. I got to be with the latest, greatest, and everything's got to be exciting and exhilarating. Not, not, not the case. You're going to have the majority of those decades of the hidden life of the Holy Family were humdrum. Just Jesus, you know, doing planing a piece of wood with his dad in the workshop and nothing, you know, extraordinary about that and just getting the job done. That's normal. We do live in a society right now where things are just, everything has to be, oh my, everybody just wants to, I don't know, achieve, achieve, achieve and, and do all the, all this stuff that just slow down. I think that's a part of the issue with um, the workaholic mentality that we have today 
where everybody, so many people are just consumed by work. And I think that's where St. Joseph comes in and teaches us there's a place for work, for sure. But there's also a place for sleep. St. Joseph is a big fan of sleep, right? It's good. I mean, this man is so holy that God talked to him in his sleep. His sleep was prayer. Um, I mean, God pro programmed it into our lives that like, what, one third of our life should be sleep. <laughs> you know, that's not Folly Calloway saying that. That's like, that's hardwired into us. So, um, yeah, we need to get back to some of those things. And that's where the family life, you know, if you look at the litany of St. Joseph, St. Joseph is called the pillar of families. That's, wow. I mean, I would love, like, I, I've actually said this to people. You know how when I was a kid anyway, the teacher would sometimes do a, a show and tell type thing in class. And they would say, bring in something from your family and describe it to the classroom, whatever. Can you imagine if 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 a teacher said to little Johnny one day, okay, or in the whole class, br bring in a picture of your dad next week and describe him to the class. And little Johnny comes in with this picture and says, my dad is the pillar of our family. <laughs> wow. Or check this one out. The glory of domestic life. That's St. Joseph's title. Wow. Or, or the guardian of virgins. I mean, wow. So those kind of things, I think St. Joseph is such a model for us of the ordinariness is where our sanctity is. Everything doesn't have to be always showcased on TV and, you know, super intense. Just sweeping the floor sometimes is what God wants you to do. You know, there, there's a question here I'd, I'd like to actually just really quick ask you here from um, Antoinette. And it's a great question. I have like a question with her question as well. So two questions for you. So Antoinette says, Father Calloway, how do we gently prompt our husbands and sons towards the example of St. Joseph? Mm. So that's her question. My question would be, how can we encourage ourselves as women, as women, and our daughters to look to St. Joseph? Mm. So yeah. could you maybe just talk about that really quickly, answer that? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you my side of it from, from a masculine perspective, right? Is maybe we've all heard the poets and, and certain authors who have talked about women elevate men, right? And we need, and it's true, we do. I mean, that's the only way that I'm going to be a good priest is if I have the beauty of the Blessed Virgin Mary in front of me. When that's not there, because I'm not close to her of my own choice, I'm in trouble, right? Um, I don't fight for an institution. I fight for beauty. I fight for a bride. I fight for, for, for that. That's, that's a complementarity of the masculine and feminine, right? I'm still, although ordained a priest, I'm still a dude, right? So I need that. So women elevate men. They help them, them to become better. And I think that as a woman, maybe what you can do from your side is you definitely don't want to browbeat him into be a man, you know, not that way, but encourage him in certain things that maybe he's never thought of or stretch him for sure, but will make him want to be chivalrous or do things that maybe he's heard about or seen or he, he knew his grandfather did or something. Like, for example, just concretely, I have a very good friend, a lady, a woman, and one time we were walking on the street and she stopped and she said, you're doing it wrong. And I'm like, what am I doing? Am I walking right? You know, what are you talking about? I said, no, you need to take the outside. And I'm like, okay, all right. I, I don't, I didn't know what she was talking about. I was like, 
why? And she said, well, because if a car comes, you get hit, <laughs> you know, you protect me. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I was like, but now whenever, if I am ever walking like on the street with a woman, it, it just is like, I need to be on the outside. Right. Or things like that, that I growing up, I wasn't taught those kind of chivalrous things. But I think if you draw those kind of aspects out of a man, he'll want to be like that. We're hardwired to want to be a knight, a soldier, a warrior and chivalrous. The culture wants to suck it out of us and make us all androgynous and, you know, all that nonsense. But mm, you're not going to get rid of it. So that's that, I think, aspect. That's from my perspective as a man. What was the second question? (laughs) The second question I was just going to add in about how we can talk to maybe our daughters or even ourselves about how, like, I think for a lot of women, they're like, well, what is Saint, like, how can I relate to St. Joseph? Like, mm-hmm. I can understand Jesus, right? He's the center. Okay. I get married, but like St. Joseph and a lot of women are like, I just don't know what to, like, I don't know what to do with them. Sure. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. A lot of women have asked me that in this last year, especially. Um, and a lot of them have said, Father, can I, as a woman, consecrate myself to St. Joseph? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's like asking, can a dude, a guy, consecrate himself to Mary? Of course, right? It's a family dynamic. Remember that. So every girl needs a dad. And yes, you're given an earthly one who is your biological father. But, you know, I have to say, and I don't take any delight in saying this, trust me, but a lot of the women that I've talked to and done ministry with, they have really suffered through some bad father wounds or from a boyfriend that really took advantage of them and and broke their heart, hurt them emotionally, physically, sexually, or physically, and just really wounded them. And so, so many women that I know really do suffer from some kind of insecurity. And they're always asking the men in their life, do you really love me? Really? Right? It's like, and I, I mean, I hear this all the time. So I think no matter what your experience has been with your earthly father or boyfriends in the past or or whatever your situation may be, St. Joseph is a man that your feminine heart needs because he will never hurt you. He will never harm you. Um, He would die for you a thousand times over. And he is such a good man that you can confide in him. You, You can have got confidence in him. And, you know, that to me in these crazy messed up times, so many women, even married women with great husbands, find a a, a real strength and a real comfort in that they've got a father who's so good as St. Joseph. I think that's, I I love that answer. I find that to be very, very true on my end as well. Um, I think sometimes so many of our difficulties as we approach Our Lady, as we pr- approach St. Joseph, or even as we approach um, Jesus and the Trinity, any difficulty we have, I seem to find it really coming back to some type of wound, right? You know, mother wound or father wound, something in our childhood, something that's gone on in the past where... And I just think that that's like that beautiful piece where it's kind of like the reverse between Thomas and Jesus, right? Like Thomas is like, I've got to stick my hands in his wounds in his side to make sure it's Jesus. And and Jesus allows that. And I think sometimes Jesus looks to us and say, let me put my finger in your wound. Let me heal that so that you can see clearly the love of the Holy Family for you. And we really need that. I think... Um, 
this Advent is such a beautiful, any time would be great, but this Advent is a really beautiful time to be brave enough to give our wounds to St. Joseph and let him, you know, carry them to Christ for the deepest healing we, that, 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 that we could, we could receive. I love that. That is great. That is, wow. I think you just set me on a, on a, on a path for my Advent with that meditation. I'm going to give my wounds to St. Joseph. I like that very much. Yeah. It's mm, a good father. Like, as you said, as you've taught us, um, one of the, one of the titles of St. Joseph um, that is quite popular, maybe because this world seems to be a little bit more obvious that it's really being, <laughs> it's really being attacked but is um, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Can you explain this one? I mean, it seems right and true, but, but yeah. why is he a terror of demons? Can you just break that one down for us? Yeah, it, it's my favorite title. I mean, I, I think it's most people's favorite title when they find out about it, because a lot of people, they're like, they first hear it and they're like, what? You know, <laughs> he is, you know? Yeah, he totally is. And so we don't know the exact origins of, who coined it, but um, it's been around for a long time. And it's in the litany of St. Joseph. It's an official title, which is super cool. Um, but there's basically two understandings of why he's called that. So the first one is his paternity. Paternity, fatherhood has power. And the devil knows that, and he's terrified of it. So that's why today the devil definitely has been trying to, and sadly with success, eliminate fatherhood from families. And I mean, if you look at, you know, some families, certain cultures, the, the lack of a father in, in certain cultures is as high as 70%. I mean, wow, right? Tell me that's not a demonic effort to, to, to get rid of the importance of a, of, of a father. So why a father? Because there's something special about a father, especially in St. Joseph's role with Jesus, because Jesus, as God, obeyed Joseph. So when Joseph asks for something from Jesus, it's almost like a paternal command. And so the devil knows. He smoked, right? Go to Joseph and ask for something. Consider it done. I mean, so that terrifies the devil, the fatherhood of St. Joseph. So think about that. Our Lady's motherhood is, is the same thing. That's why the devil can't stand Our Lady. So when Mary presents a need to Jesus, she doesn't even have to ask a question like at Cana. They have no wine. That's not a question. That's an observation. Mama makes the observation. Jesus comes through. Boom. You got so much wine. You better be having an AA meeting after that. <laughs> he made so much wine. It's ridiculous. So same thing with Joseph. So when Joseph goes to Jesus with son, they're asking for this. Jesus still in heaven hears that as a son from his father asking it, consider it done. The devil knows that he's terrified of it. The second aspect is the purity of St. Joseph. That is such a threat to the devil because the devil is a filthy, perverse, pornographic creature, a fallen angel whose nature has become so twisted that he went from being an angel of light to being a, a, a devil, a demon, right? Completely warped in what God intended, and now really wants people to, to become the same. And one of the key ways is through sins of the flesh. And so impurity, no matter what your state in life is. So that lily that St. Joseph is shown holding is not, you know, some weak little flower. It's a lance of a man who is pure, who sees God. Remember what Jesus said, the pure of heart shall see God. If you're not pure, you're blind. 
If you're not pure, you are spiritually impotent. You have no power. But when you are pure, you are a threat to the forces of darkness. And St. Joseph being chaste of heart, eyes, intention, all of that, his purity is such a threat to, to the devil that he's terrified of it. So that's the twofold, the fatherhood and the purity of St. Joseph. He is the mighty terror of demons. I love that. And I love the litany of St. Joseph. You, you haven't, you know, prayed it in a while. Please go check it out. It's in um, Father's book as well. I love that you are unpacking St. Joseph for us so that we can get beyond St. Joseph as only being the person for real estate and selling a home. <laughs> right? Totally. Please don't bury him either and turn him upside down. <laughs> no, I know. It's just, I know. I'm with you. <laughs> just, maybe we shouldn't do that. Yeah. People are well-intentioned, but yeah. you don't need to do that. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure St. Joseph is like, you know, oh, okay. Oh, well, we we can work with this still, but you didn't have to marry me, you know. Yeah. But I'm just so happy that we're unpacking more of this beautiful saint, this beautiful um, holy father, stepfather to Jesus, um, husband to Mary. I mean, what do you think? I just want to know your opinion. Okay, I know yeah. there's nothing in scripture. I I know that. Yeah. What, what can you just tell me? What your thoughts and maybe your meditations have been regarding the actual moment the time of the nativity from mm. the heart and the eyes of St. Joseph. Right. What, what do you imagine that to be like when you pray with that? Yeah, that's profound, you know, and I, I think there is a certain veiledness to that, that we may never fully understand or get a clear vision of it. I think that was such a sacred moment that maybe even St. Joseph and certain mystics have said this actually, that not even he saw that exact moment. Because we're talking about the, the veil of the virgin opened, her holy womb, right? We're talking about a sanctuary, the, the, the womb of the virgin, and the divine child coming into the world at that moment that they talk about St. Joseph actually going into ecstasy, that he was just wrapped up, you know, in, in that and didn't see the exact moment. And then all of a sudden it comes out of the ecstasy and there is Our Lady with the divine child, right? So you can even imagine the angels um, veiling themselves in a certain sense of this, you know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who has come into the world now. I mean, what a moment. I mean, I just, I can't even fathom that. And, you know, to think about, I, I don't know, were there ants in the cave that day? Were there, were there, little critters crawling around, you know, when it happened, were they in ecstasy? I don't know. Right. But that whole moment, that whole environment was just, oh my goodness. It must just have been dazzling light and the glory of it. So when we get to heaven, we'll ask, but I have a feeling that even for all eternity, we're not going to know the full depth of that moment. There's just so much when you can place yourself in those beautiful, um, times with the Holy family where you can really, I think with St. Joseph, like to place yourself like right next to him is just creates so much material to contemplate on. You can just sit there just, I yep. mean, yeah, I mean, there's just so much to think about in that entire process, you know, of just yep. this, of what's happening. And um, do you think, I mean, 
this might be silly, but like, do you think St. Joseph was ever afraid or scared? Well, I mean, yeah, because those are normal, right? So it's only like Eastern religions that say, don't ever have fear. That's nonsense, right? If a Doberman pincher comes up running up to me, I'm freaking out. You know, I'm not going to stand there stoic and, you know, I should be scared. If I'm surfing, for example, and I see a shark, I'm scared. You know, that it, it's normal. So actually in the scriptures, those kind of human emotions in response to things, um, we can unpack this Thomistically, theologically, we won't go deep, but it, it's normal. So it says when they lost him in the temple, what did Mother Mary say? Your father and I have been searching for you with great anxiety. That's what Our Lady said. That's in the scripture. So it, it's, nor, it's a normal response to a serious situation. So in all likelihood, yes, he would have experienced fear maybe at night in Egypt, you know, when they knew that there were men out there with bad intentions, those kind of things. Sure. I'm sure they did. You know, in those last, like, what, what can you share with us from what you've, you've read and, and, and what God has helped you understand, I guess, in prayer too, about those last moments of St. Joseph's life. And, and like, what can we, what can we know about that? Oh my goodness. This touches me because I have a passage in the book on this. I think it's from, who's it from? It's either Venerable Mary of Agreda, who was a Spanish mystic, or I think it is from her. So she talks about, she was privileged um, to go back in time, I guess you could say, to be present um, at that moment of St. Joseph's death. And, you know, can you imagine to, to die in the arms of Jesus and Mary and the exchange that would have been taking place at that moment, the love, the affection, the tenderness, right? Oh my goodness. I can't. But she says that the exchange that took place between Joseph, who's the husband of Mary, they loved each other. Yes, it is true. They never engaged in con the conjugal act, right? Their marriage was a unique marriage for the sake of the mission of their son. Yes. But that doesn't mean that they didn't love each other. Their hearts were so united. And this was a moment, right? Yes, they have great hope that they'll see each other again in the fatherland. But it was a moment of sadness. It was a moment of intensity. And, and Joseph, as he's closing his eyes and dying, He's speaking to his bride, to his woman, to his lady. And he's saying, I hope that I have been the man that you wanted me to be. And I long to see you again, my lady, in the fatherland. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? So, yeah. I mean, I'm getting choked up just talking about it, you know? Yeah. No, me too. I'm getting to write. I mean... It reminds me, obviously, my, I think it's probably natural, but my mind just goes straight to the Pieta. Like Our Lady holds St. Joseph. She holds her son. And now she, she, she's there in a sense holding us. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. such a beautiful, um, I mean, to die wrapped, into the, wrapped in the arms of Jesus and Mary. I mean, how else would you want to go? Totally. And you just said something that is amazing to me because I, I kid you not, just this week, I was praying and it came to my mind and my heart, the Pieta. And I thought, what if we had a statue that showed Our Lady as well holding Joseph, right? Maybe in a similar, not the same, we don't want to like seem like a competition again, right, with Jesus. But certainly on some level, she would have held her husband. 
the man of her heart. She loved her Joseph. So to have her as a, 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 a widow now holding her dead husband there. Oh, what, what, what an image, huh? And you yeah. just affirmed it. You just said it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, I mean, I mean, she, she did as we know. I mean, so there's just so much there. Father, I mean, we can keep going, I, I, but I want to make sure we give time for people to ask questions too. But I'm so happy that we did go because, um, oh, I, I, like I said, I, I did a podcast with Father a couple months ago. It's all my podcast. Go check it out because it, it just, it's like this, but even more, Father, you just have such a beautiful way to explain St. Joseph to us. And like you said, we really need him. Yeah. So we're going to take some questions now from you all. Um, go ahead and put your questions in the chat. I'm going to sift through them and then we'll give them to Father before we wrap up for the evening. Also, thank you so much for being with us tonight. We can get your questions here. Okay, so here is a question. Um, this is for someone. Who's, so this is from Sarah. She said, I did the consecration of St. Joseph earlier this year. So when we are renewing this, should we start on the same day that we started in the past? No, not necessarily. I mean, you can, but no, that's whenever you can do it and you can change it up, right? Here's something cool I heard. Married couples have done it once. Great. They loved it. But then the second time they did it, they did it so that it ended on their wedding anniversary. Isn't that nice? I think that's really nice. That's a great idea. My 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 Ricky and I's tenth wedding anniversary is this, is coming up in a couple months. I'm so going to do that. Thank you. Okay, here is another question um, from Melissa. She said, "My husband and his family are Baptist, and they're critical of Catholics worshiping Joseph and Mary. How can I illuminate the importance of and necessity of Joseph's role in our Christian faith and Mary as well, without coming off as if we put them on the same level as Christ?" Right. Yeah. So it's always good to to make that very clear that we're not worshiping them. We don't show adoration to them. They're not God. But at the same time, you know, they were very important to God and he made himself dependent upon them. He didn't come as a 33 year old Messiah out of the heavens. You know, he came dependent upon them and he loved them. Remember, I mean, God himself said, you know, honor your father and your mother. The maker of the commandments is the one who also observes them. Uh, and Jesus did that. So it's just normal family life, right? They were a family. Jesus loved them. And so, yeah, we should love them too. Just keep it basic, but keep it so, you know, you would never diss somebody's mother. That wouldn't go well, right? I don't think you're going to be buds for very long or their dad for that matter. So probably shouldn't be dissing Jesus's mom and dad, <laughs> Probably so. And, you know, I, I find it from, for me to always distinguish between some some terms like prayer and wor worship. Mm -hmm. Catholics typically define those differently than mm -hmm. Protestants. So um, they will sometimes, uh, for a lot of Protestants, I know prayer and worship mean the exact same thing. Right, right. And so it's different. Like we worship God alone, of course, in the Holy Trinity. Um, yeah. But we pray to saints, you know, for our for help, for or for yeah, so it might that might be a good starting point too. That's very good. Yeah, prayer is conversation. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. Okay, here's another question for your father. This one is from Trisha. She says, "How do we deal? This is great. How do we deal with the demands of this pandemic, restraining our personal choices and medical freedom, like Saint Joseph and the Holy Family?" Mm. Yeah, that's tough. I have to say, I'm. I mean, I don't want to get in dangerous territory here, but I'm. We need to obviously take care of ourselves and our families. But I have to say, 
myself, just through my own prayer and my own, I mean, I'm practically a virologist at this point. I've done so much research, right? I have a lot of problems with a lot of things that are being pushed on us that are mandatory, right? Um, this is problematic, the, 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 the obligatory nature of a lot of these things. And that's why I really am suspicious because, you know, people are coming at all of us and saying, trust the science. And I'm like, yeah, but you guys don't know the difference between a man and a woman. And you're telling me to trust your science? Mm, I don't know about that. So I, I think we have to do what we can, not against our conscience. Um, sometimes you have to maybe play the game, so to speak. But these are this is uncharted territory that we're in right now. And um, we just have to be in prayer to know what to do, what not to do, and really pray that the world has a change of heart. A lot of these global elites have a change of heart in a lot of these things because I don't think that the direction that we're headed is, is a good one. I think that um, things are going in a bad direction. And I don't know people's hearts, right? I don't know the intentions of a lot of these leaders, but things like this have never gone well in history when you're dictating these kind of demands without exceptions, without religious exemptions, without these kind of things. This is not good. Um, this is not good. So I think I'll, I'll leave it at that because I have very, very strong opinions on a lot of these things and um, pray for me. <laughs> well, I'm with you personally. I can say that I can't talk from anybody else, but I absolutely agree. And, and, and I think that um, as that question was relating to like the Holy Family and St. Joseph, um, I have no doubt that St. Joseph will guide us. I'm sure you would agree too in this entire time where... Yeah. Um, I mean, we have mentioned, Father has mentioned a couple times already um, in this Advent chat about just St. Joseph, you know, escaping and fleeing through Egypt. I mean, because some crazy man is trying to kill his child, right? Yeah. And went to such and went to such, such extremes that he would kill all these other babies as well. Mm. So there are a lot of parallels going on right now in our world. There are. You're so right. Wow. Man, you're so right. I mean, just thinking about that, even, you know, with, you know, J Joseph it was the keeper of the bread in a certain sense, right? So remember in the Old Testament, there was a Joseph that was sold into slavery and Pharaoh put him in Egypt in charge of the granaries, so the bread. And that all happened historically, but it was a prefigurement from a much greater Joseph, our Joseph, who took the true bread come down from heaven for safekeeping against a man who wanted to kill our bread, you know, Jesus, to Egypt. And now what's happened in the world is a lot of people, you know, they weren't able to get to church to get the bread. Um, we need to ask St. Joseph to fling wide the doors of where the bread is housed. Take away fears, right? So many people are anxious and, and so fearful right now, and they're just being fed fear on a daily basis. Um, St. Joseph didn't respond to that. Like when the angel said, said to him, take your wife and child to, to Egypt, he was like, okay, I'll do it. I think today we need to um, trust in God and, and, and do what he says and don't be afraid of everything. Look, we're all going to die someday, right? That's, that's just how it works. Let's imitate Joseph and, and, and be courageous and really turn to him. You're so right right now. There's so many parallels. We need him big time. We do. I don't think it's going to, um, regardless of 
you know, what this year ends and what's going to happen after Wednesday, yeah. or whatever the year we dedicated to. But St. Joseph is definitely here and he's mm -hmm. here to stay and he always was. Yes. And we definitely need him um, now, like you said, now more than ever. Um, okay, a couple more questions before we wrap up. Here's a here's a, a nice um, technical question about St. Joseph for you, Father. This is, this is from Shannon. Shannon says, was St. Joseph assumed into heaven, body and soul? Mm, 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 mm. I love this one. So I've got a lot on that in the book. I won't be able to unpack it fully here. But so it is it's not a doctrine or a dogma of the church. OK, um, but it is a tradition, small t. So it's been affirmed by many saints. I've got tons of quotes in the book and even by a pope, St. Pope John the 23rd, who called it worthy of belief. He called this pious tradition worthy of belief. And I think that was in 1963 when he said that. So why? Well, think about it. In the Gospels, we hear about when Jesus rises from the dead, it says that there's an earthquake and that many people in Jerusalem come out of their tombs and appear to many in Jerusalem. Hmm, that's interesting. We're not told who those people were. But doesn't it make sense that St. Joseph probably would have been there among their number? Why is he going to leave his dad in a tomb and all these other people are you know, rising from the dead? But not only that, if he was sanctified in the womb and rose from the dead, in all likelihood, this is what the tradition says, small t, that at the ascension of Jesus, St. Joseph most likely also would have been assumed body and soul into heaven. That's one of the reasons why people say we don't have any relics of St. Joseph, first class relics. We don't have a piece of his hair or a piece of his left finger or anything like that, right? Because he's not here. In all likelihood, he's in heaven, body and soul. So not a doctrine yet, maybe in the future, who knows? But um, it's worthy of, of, of belief, as even a Pope has said. All right, great. So this is our last question. Last question is from Kelly. We're going to wrap up after this. Kelly's got a good one. She says, do you think families should try to preserve the husband as the sole provider and the wife is the homemaker and mother in the home? Mm. And she follows up with when a family is faced with financial strain, the wife will sometimes become a provider too. Mm. Does this cause conflict on a spiritual level mm. in terms of our God given roles? Sure. I think ideally, yes, I do. I, I subscribe to that. I do. I there's the times right now make it very difficult often to do that because society is so set up right now that it's it's actually hard to pay all the bills and to live without two incomes. But even so, I've met a lot of families when they're starting out, they're willing to make great sacrifices. And because they're so prayerful, they're taking that particular intention to God and saying, this is how we want to live. We believe that this would be pleasing to you. We want to have lots of children, right? And that's the blessing of having lots of children, by the way. The children help with all the chores, mowing the grass and doing all the things that, you know, need to get done. So I, I actually pray that somehow the world would have a major conversion experience and we would go back to that. Because I, I honestly think that it's the way that it's meant to be. And I'm not condemning any woman who works or anything like that. No, please don't. I'm not saying that. No, not at all. Um, the times just make it very difficult. But. I do think that is the ideal. I do think that that is, that would be best. Amen. Amen. I'm with you.
There is, um, if you missed last weekend's or last week's talk from Sister Miriam, she actually spoke about Our Lady as the homemaker. So it's beautiful. That was a question, Kelly. Thank you for that question, because if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, but from Sister Miriam's talk on Our Lady as the homemaker to, of course, Father Don Calloway's talk on St. Joseph, it's just wrapping up to be amazing. Father, thank you so much. I just, I treasure you. You just I treasure you so much in my own personal life. And thank you all that you do to help us love St. Joseph. Thank you so much. God bless you and your family and everybody who's watching and listening. And I pray everybody has a great Advent. And uh, when Christmas comes, have a very Merry Christmas, right? M-A-R-Y. Have a very Merry Christmas. Amen. On that, we will wrap it up. Make sure you catch us next Monday for our last Advent chat with Father um, Michael O'Loughlin. He will be presenting on, you guessed it, the child Jesus. He's got, he's got a fun one to go with. So we'll be doing that next week. Until then, we'll see you later.